This is an ABC podcast. I thought, oh, this is the end of the road for me. Uh, having a seven-year sentence felt like it was the end of the road. When you see the, the ladies in pink, you know, I thought that this was it. Uh, how will I spend seven years behind by? I've come across women that have suffered um, from violence for a very, very long time. And then let's say in the event that that woman, let's say her husband is having an affair with another woman, right? So she ends up murdering probably the mistress or the second wife, or sometimes she ends up murdering the husband. So when I took my kids and I didn't realize that they were murdered, sitting down and, you know, as soon as they saw my kids, they were in tears, but they couldn't hold their tears, so they used to excuse themselves to go out in the toilet, just to go and cry and wipe their tears, and then coming back again. In prisons and correctional facilities around the world, more and more women are doing time. According to the United Nations, more than 700,000 women and girls are imprisoned globally, which makes up 7% of the total prison population. And that rate is rising rapidly, and this is playing out on every continent. Data by World Prison Brief found that between 2000 and 2015, The female incarceration rate jumped by a whopping 53%, while the same rate for men rose by only 20%. And that's a big concern, especially for Pacific Island women incarcerated today. So what's behind this sharp rise? And are prisons in the Pacific equipped for it? I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about women behind bars. Women make up a very small percentage of those imprisoned across the Pacific, ranging from 2% in Solomon Islands to 6% in Samoa. That's quite low compared to Australia, where the rate is 8% and growing fast, particularly among First Nations women. So it is important to look at the overall incarceration rates, and in the Pacific it varies wildly. Papua New Guinea is among the lowest with 58 people per 100,000, while Fiji has the highest rate, 274 people per 100,000. When it comes to women in prison, we know many have suffered violence before. In some cases, it is the reason for them being there. But little research has been done into the gendered nature of crimes in the Pacific. What crimes are women mostly committing? What are the conditions like? And is there a clear pathway to rehabilitation? One way to truly understand what it is like to be a woman in prison today is to speak to someone who has been there. In 2013, Jessica Hill made a terrible decision which had devastating consequences and led her to being put behind bars in a Fijian woman's prison. I made a wrong decision. I got behind the... The wheels, and I was under the influence of liquor, and uh, uh, someone died as a result. That's how I got incarcerated. Eh? And you were sentenced to seven years in prison for that accident. How many yes. years, years did you serve? I served five and a half years, and the remaining sentence I served it outside my parole period. 
before I uh, went into prison, I was working uh, as an accountant at Full Vows and Horse Supplies, and uh, life was good. Uh, after one, when I got involved in the case in 2013, my life changed because of the traumas that I went through. And uh, when you got to prison, uh, what were your first impressions? My first impressions when I entered the gate, I thought, oh, this is the end of the road for me. Uh, having a seven-year sentence felt like it was the end of the road. Uh, when you see those bars and see when you see those, the ladies in pink, you know, I thought that this was it. Uh, how will I spend seven years behind bar? Eh? The toughest part of being in prison is when... Uh, when we couldn't get to see our families more often, eh? I mean, we had visitations. We always have visitations, but uh, the toughest part is being separated from our loved ones. And then uh, it also comes with the stigma. When we first, when I first went in, that's how I felt like uh, being convicted. You know, I felt uh, it, it just. I just didn't feel good back then because I was convicted, and there were so many things going in the, in the media. And it was tough at first. I had to adjust to so many things, the routine life. Uh, what sort of support did you have or find support from while you were in prison? Well, I had a lot of support. Uh, one thing that I had was support from my loved ones. I had support from my families. I had support from my friends and also my work uh, colleagues. Where I'm working at the moment back here. Um, I had a lot of support from my loved ones. That was the main thing that kept me going, knowing that I had the support of people out there that uh, my friends and families, they didn't look at me differently, even though I went behind bars and even though I was wearing that uniform, that is one of the things that helped me uh, in my time behind bars. And uh, what are the conditions like in prison in Fiji? Uh, the conditions are okay. We have uh, meals three times a day. We have uh, Everything is a routine day. We have a routine the schedule, wake up, have a shower, make a bed, then go have our breakfast and we have got duties. Yeah, we also uh, we have uh, go through rehabilitation programs. We attend rehabilitation programs. Sometimes uh, some of the organizers come and they take us. Uh, I've been through so many causes in there, like uh, anger management, alcohol, drugs and substance abuse, trauma healing. Um, there were a lot of programs that I went through when I was there. Okay. And would you say that, that rehabilitation sort of... Um strengthened or helped in, in in some way to come out again of prison a better yes, person I would yes I would say that uh, re, the rehab, the rehab programs that I went through was one of the things that helped me helped me to accept uh, my being there when I first went in it was really hard for me because I didn't accept it that I was incarcerated and then it took me a while through almost three years. But when I went through the programs, it really helped me. There was a course that I took. It was called uh, Problem Solving Therapy. That was when I, uh, that was a program that helped me. That was a program that made me accept that, yes, I made a mistake. Yes, I'm here. And then from there onwards, I started to, I was okay. You went in for uh, drink driving and someone lost their life. Uh, generally, what do what are women in women in Fiji prisons? What are they in for generally? Uh, well, we all come in different sort of cases. Everyone, eh? There's, uh, you know, from the streets to we all these all different different crimes that we commit, and then we enter. There's a lot of uh, different cases that we go in for. Like for me, I went in for manslaughter. That was manslaughter and driving. 
I was just from slot in driving. Jessica, you, uh, how did you get involved in fashion work? That's pretty interesting. Fashion work in prison. Oh, yes. Well, uh, when that was in 2018. 2018, like uh, I was selected, there was 10 of us. We were selected for this program called Blooming Inside. Um, it was facilitated by an Australian uh, woman. Her name is Ma'am Linda. And uh, I was chosen for that. And my second day into the class, I realized that I had a passion for designing. I didn't know that I had that. But uh, when, when, I went, when I was in prison, then I discovered my talent there. Wow. And yes. uh, is that what you're currently doing now? Uh, yes, right now I'm working as a financial controller, but I'm uh, also doing fashion design on the side. That's lovely. And yes. uh, what, what sort of uh, garments are you making? Well, this year I didn't take part in the fashion show this year because I've got a lot of workload and stuff. But last year I took part in the Fiji Fashion Week. If you'll see that I, I've got a page called Jackie's Enterprises and uh, I, I make a watch list. I design for ladies. I also did a, made a design swimwear in 2020. You know, I, when I look back, I said, I know the choices that I made then. I wish I, that I could change it. Eh? I wish I could go back and change that, uh, the decisions that I made then, but I can't. But I believe that uh, I've learned from that mistake and I believe that in the future that I'll make better decisions. And I'm also happy that... Uh, I through that uh, through being incarcerated, that's where is where I found my passion for fashion designing. Eh? What happened on that fateful night in 2013 was tragic and avoidable. A family is now left without a mother and a wife. But I do believe people deserve a second chance to be rehabilitated. And I am glad to hear Jessica Hill grabbed that opportunity with both hands while imprisoned in Fiji. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. In Papua New Guinea today, there are roughly 5,000 people in prison and 5% of those are women. One woman who knows a lot about women's experience in PNG prisons is Deborah Pranes. She is a journalist and produced a documentary in 2018 about the key issues women face beyond bars. On a second visit to Bomana Detention Center in Port Mosby, Deborah said she was struck by the number of mothers in prison with their children. It was actually, I would say, my probably my second time to visit the inmates. And I think that they're relatively small. It's quite spacious. There's not a lot of women there. And I, I, one thing that I found interesting was that they had, um, some of them had their kids with them. And although the space wasn't much, I don't know, to be honest, I, I have no idea how they'd cope. Their reality is totally different from mine. And I think at that time there was there were about three to four kids within, um, that were in there with their mothers. And I think they were supposed to be there until the age of four. I think they're allowed to come out. I mean, once that they're able to, you know, not breastfeed anymore, then they can come out. But in the meantime, since they depend on their mothers, they live in, the, in, in these small, tiny spaces. But they move around quite freely, the kids, I mean. And the kids, they were pretty normal kids. It's just that 
they, they are being brought up in a totally different environment. They, they're totally separated from their families and their cousins and the extended family. And you know how we're, we're like here in Papua New Guinea. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're very, you know, we're a big family. It's more than just mom and dad. There's cousins, sisters, grandparents, and so on. Mm. Yeah, so they're missing out on that part. And it will take, let's say, about three years. Let's say if a child is a probably a few months old, it'll take that child another three years before he or she can come out mm. and, you know, integrate with the rest of the family members. And uh, was your focus in Bomana prison only or other prisons as well? Due to, you know, <laughs> the resources that I had at that time and where I was at that time, I was only focusing on um, Bomana. But, you know, it would be great if we looked at other prisons I wouldn't say prisons. Let me use the term um, correctional, I think, correctional services centers around the country. And, you know, it would be nice if we look into their situation and how they're coping and really look at their rehabilitation programs, you know. I think there's a lot of need for research into, into the situation of female inmates mm. and the type of rehabilitation programs they have and find out what they need and how are children coping um, behind bars. That's an interesting point, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the worst thing that you saw when you were going to and from and doing your documentary? I would say um, I've come across women that have suffered um, from violence for a very, very long time. And that, that trauma has been with them for a very long time. And then let's say in the event that that woman, let's say her husband is having an affair with another woman, right? So she ends up murdering probably the mistress or the second wife, or sometimes she ends up murdering the husband. And then she gets punished for doing that, you know. She gets, um, she's in prison, right, for the next 20 years or so, 15 years or so. And... I'm not sure if we really look into, you know, this could have been prevented, right? But it hasn't. And a lot of the women that I've seen during my time filming that particular documentary was that I I noticed that most of the women in there were in there because they murdered somebody. It was more gender-based violence related. And also some of them were very well educated, but they're in there because of fraud. I may be wrong. So I think we need like proper statistics to really identify why women are, you know, behind bars. So women have, we have special needs like sanitary pads. Do they get the sort of services that women need in prison? One of the things that I noticed was they get a lot of donations um, in terms of sanitary pads. That's for that particular Bomana center. So that wasn't a problem. And I think too, because they're in the city, you know, they're just a little outside the city. So they get access to all of some of the basic needs and they get a lot of donations and things. But maybe I wouldn't say it's the same for all other, you know, mm. correctional service centers around the country. Yeah, true. When I visited, and I used to do visits there to Pomana as well, and I have really great memories speaking with the women there. Uh, one, one thing that I found kind of... Uh, 
that's a bit sad, I would say, was mm-hmm. women who were moved from other correctional facilities to Bomana for, you know, the, you know, big crimes. And they didn't get families or visits for years. Is that what mm-hmm. you observed as well? It's heartbreaking when you, you know, you get separated from your family and your society. And that's something that they have to live with every single day, you know. Being away from your kids, your parents, your friends, the, the society sees you differently. So it is heartbreaking that some of them don't get family visits at all. What is something that kind of keeps them to get together and keeps them motivated to, you know, press on the next day and, you know, put one foot in front of the other while they're saving time? Um, having the kids around, you know, the kids that are in there with the mothers, they're the ones who keep, I don't know, in some way brings happiness to the female inmates. Although their kids are not in there, but if their fellow inmate has a child that's in there, it brings them so much joy having to, you know, communicate and play with that child. It just changes the whole atmosphere. And I think that's something that keeps them going. And uh, from those women that you spoke with, were there were they any rehabilitation options uh, for them to access and to get them ready for when they leave prison? To be honest, I don't think I, I explored that in detail. But I understand that the Correctional Service Center runs programs with churches in collaboration with other NGO groups and humanitarian organizations. But like I said, I would I would really need to do like an in-depth research to fully understand the extent of rehabilitation and its impact on female inmates. And the documentary, um, what was the aim of the documentary and what did you hope to achieve with that, uh, yeah, with that program? It's more about giving voice to people who don't always have a voice. And I tend to focus on people who are often ignored by society. So I wanted to just get an insight to how they were and what they were doing and how life was like for them being behind bars. And I think um, one of the things that I learned from them is that um, you really have to take control of your emotions. You know, in a split second, you're having an argument with your husband. Without thinking straight, you could actually end up killing somebody. (laughs) So always be in control of your emotion. And most of them regret doing what they did, if they did, you know commit a murder or something, you know, they do regret it. And it it all happened in a split second. That's how they described it. So I think to always, if you're angry, you're upset, take a break, you know, go for a walk. Don't let your emotions get the best of you because you never know, you could end up behind bars. I, I do hope we have um, proper research done into the type of crimes that are committed by women and how they end up in prison and the type of rehabilitation that they need and also the impact of those rehabilitation programs. Maybe there are some existing rehabilitation programs going on that I may not be aware of. It would be very interesting to find out about it.
I must mention that they do pick up like a lot of his great skills, like sewing and cooking, and you know they get I think literacy classes and yeah, there's so many other programs that are being done that I'm not you know fully aware of, but yeah. I do know that it's happening. Giving a voice to the voiceless is one of the most important things you can do as a journalist. I feel incredibly inspired by Deborah Pranis' work with women in Bomana Correctional Facility. And hopefully it leads to more research so we can prevent crimes like these happening in the first place. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. Before I moved to Australia, I made regular visits to the women's prison in Port Moresby. It meant as much to me as it did to them. What struck me when I first met with women at the Bomana prison in 2004 were their smiles. They say the eyes are windows to our soul. I could tell there was sadness and longing in those eyes, but their smiles made me realize they were genuinely grateful I was visiting them. I would go back there often to visit them sometimes with my family, and two things I tell my family is never to ask these women what they are in for unless they speak about it themselves and not to become emotional. It doesn't matter what they are there for, because the price of doing the wrong thing has made them end up in prison. For most, it has taken them away from their families, and especially children. The very first time I met with them, I tried very hard to maintain composure, as the women were talking about their children and their families. They needed basic things like soap and toothpaste, and certain foods they normally enjoy with family. Some mentioned what they were in for. After that first meeting, I drove back home, and as a mother, the emotions were overwhelming. I decided I'd continue those visits, and I was doing that with my family, and also took my UNICEF colleagues with me for a Christmas visit in 2007. My visits ended when I moved to Australia in 2008, but I still think of these women all the time. I took my mom there once, and it was a surprise to her. She asked, do you know these women? And I said, I don't know any of them, but to me, that doesn't matter. Some people go to church to show they honor their God. I come here to do these prison visits, having time for those who least expect it. It's my way of honoring God, and my heart is always at peace there. It's wonderful to see lots of church groups visiting the prisons, not only in Port Moresby, but other prisons in the country. It doesn't take much to realize how blessed we are by putting ourselves in other people's shoes. We begin to count our blessings and appreciate life more. One woman who has made a habit of visiting women in prison is Carolyn Raga in Papua New Guinea. What's special about the visits is that she takes her children with her to run prison ministry and sing. Some visits have been tinged with feelings of sadness as well as excitement. When you, you know, go, go in and see these prisoners you know, in there and you know, leaving their kids behind, the experience that I went through was I went with my kids and the ministry mothers. And we we visited the funeral with the mothers especially. And as I walked in with my kids, you know, these are mothers that they just left their kids just like that and going in. They don't know what is, you know, what are the kids doing at home, whether they are well looked after or in all these things, especially their welfare. So when I took my kids and I didn't realize that there were mothers 
sitting down and, you know, resident states of my kids. They were in tears, but they couldn't hold their tears, so they had to excuse themselves to go out in the toilet, just to go and cry and wipe their tears, and then coming back again. I didn't realize this. After when the service was finished, after the program, and then I gave them their food, and then they told me, so we left our kids just like that, and we don't know how big they are. We saw kids that, you know, that it really touches. It reminded us of our kids. And that was the sad part that I saw. So um, does that mean that they don't get, they're not allowed visitors when they're in prison? Or why, do, why don't they see their families? Okay, that's only when Sundays, only when Sundays that you know, they allow the families to come and visit them, but not all the time. Mm. And I I know that some of them are transferred from other provinces due to the seriousness yes. of their crimes. Is that the, also yes. the reason why they don't see their families? Yes, especially for those long one in a distance. It's, it's very hard, very difficult. But through phone calls, yes. That must have been a moving experience for yourself as a mother to see that. Yes. And when you talk to them... um. Generally, what sort of offences do they tell you that they've committed for and how long are some of their sentences? Okay, some of them said they killed their uh, husband's second wife and all this stuff. And some are maybe working mothers in misappropriation of funds. And there are other crimes that they committed. As soon as I got these mothers in and I told them to share their experiences, like some of them husbands left them, but you know they because they have God in their hearts, they have to forget about the situation and focus on God. So some of these testimonies have really you know touched them, and they said, you know we didn't know that there was always a way out. We took life into our hands, and that's how we are. And we are here. Otherwise, if we left it to God, then God has His own way out to solve all our problems. So some of them. Problem matters that I took in, I told them to share their testimonies of what they are going through. And through their testimonies, it really touched them and really helped. Mm. That's amazing work that you do. And uh, you also take your kids. What 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 do the kids see and what, why, why do you take the kids to, to prison to do this ministry? Okay, the kids sing with me. My husband plays our uh, program, all our music, and I sing with my kids with some of the ministry mothers. So that's why I take my kids with me because they support me singing. We have a singing ministry group. And it's wonderful that you're raising your kids this way to see, you know, this that life out there is, you know, like that and for them to appreciate and uh, share their gift of singing with the prisoners. That's well done. And Caroline, when you visit the uh, prison, are there some uh, rehabilitation programs in prison that uh, inmates um, do to prepare them to, you know, for when they, when they leave prison? Okay, some of them, the mothers always go and take them, take them for, to sew in classes, whatnot, so they learn how to sew suits and all that, but when they go out, they are equipped. It is such amazing work that Caroline Raga is doing for women in prison. But as a mother, my heart aches for the mothers who were reduced to tears when they saw Caroline's kids. Prison strips women of many things. 
But it is clear that their inability to care for their children while behind bars was a real source of sadness for them. Thank you so much for joining me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is sistas at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, what is life like for LGBTQI people in the Pacific? Basically, there are eight um, of the island states and territories that have decriminalized, but still um, Kiribati, Samoa, Solomon Islands, Tonga, Tuvalu, and Cook Islands, which is a free associating territory, they're still um, facing criminalization. So that means you can't even be, you know, kind of publicly who you are. And that means that it's very, very hard to access the full range of human rights. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented by me, Hilda Wayne. It's produced by Melissa Macon. Our supervising producer is Inge Stunzner. Executive producer is Justine Kelly. And our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. And Tasol Nabungimu next time.